Welcome to the Business, Wealth and Mindset Podcast. Your space for real motivational interviews and cutting-edge business content to inspire your positive mental attitude. And now, your host, Alex Sopala. So, no, thanks, Sharon, for you know coming on uh, this podcast to, to speak to us with your experience. You've got a vast experience and knowledge and wisdom, and I hear you talk in ESA and all of that, and it's just, you know, where, where to, to begin. I mean, I can almost talk to you for all day and just learn a lot more things each and every time. So I thought it would be good to... You know, just uh, get you on the uh, uh, podcast to uh, speak to us about your experience. So the idea of this podcast is mainly to sort of capture your your story, like I said in that picture, from sort of humble beginnings, your journey from where you, you began up to here, all the, um, the lessons, the experiences, the challenges, the successes within that to the extent that they can inspire and motivate uh, other, other people as well. Uh, and uh, yeah, any, any tips that, that, that can help uh, people in that sense. So I thought we would just uh, begin by, uh, if you take us through like the early years of you growing up, the, child, the childhood and uh, you know what it was like growing up, whether you know what what was your idea of what you wanted to be and what you would want to do and how that has evolved over time to where you are now so if you just take us through that as a as a journey because to, to some extent think of it like um you know 50 years from now if someone gets hold of this podcast and they want to know who sharon was you know what would you like them to, to hear and, and, and get to know about yourself? So if you, t- if you think it in those terms and just take us through that, that journey and then okay. we can talk about bits within, yeah? Okay, you stop me when you want. Yeah, sure, sure. Okay, so I, I, I was born. Uh, my dad was stationed in the army. He was a career soldier. He was 29 when I was born and he, he, uh, he came from Leicester. Hmm. He had... Uh, what did he have? Uh, he was one of eleven children, and they weren't wow. Catholic. And my mum was one of one of five, mm-hmm. and they were both like Leicester, born and bred in Leicester. But yeah. because he was in the army, he moved to, down to Blandford Forum in Dorset, where I was born. Mm-hmm. Don't remember any of that, <laughs> uh, although we often, mum and dad often reminded me. Uh, and then they moved back to Leicester because of a hearing problem he had. He was. Uh, What's the word? Decommissioned. He had mm. to stop. Well, he was about 30, so he did his 12 years. Yeah. He had deafness uh, linked to the gunshot wounds, the gunshot experience in the army. Oh. So he was born yeah. in 32. My mum was born in 38. So they mm. never really experienced the World War to, Second World War to fighting. Mm. But when they emerged out of it in 45, my mum was seven. And my dad was like 13, 14, so it must have had a great influence on their lives. Yeah. But he, mm-hmm. he then, then they came back to Leicester and then uh, stayed with my nan in a little terrace house in Leicester. Mm-hmm. And uh, at, the, at the time, my gran, uh, mm-hmm. she, she, my great grand had a shop 
But I used to sell little things in it, you know, for the family. And she also yeah. used to read tea leaves as well. Yeah. <laughs> and, and they were quite poor. Uh, so I, they didn't have a cup for me. I was stuck in a, in a drawer that you pulled out from a chest of drawers. Yeah. In that. So <laughs> then uh, after the war, uh, a lot of council estates were built. Uh, what else would municipal housing and you've got like it was before the time of Newtown in Basildon and Newtown it was yeah. like these were the garden cities the original ones the aim was to provide homes for the future mm -hmm. families yeah uh, so it was about rebuilding and the houses were only supposed to last, last no more than about 30 years so. yeah mm -hmm. uh, so I was brought up in the middle of a council estate uh i had there were six of us all together my brother died when i was seven eight no i, oh. I was about nine i think when he got run over by a, a speeding yeah. vehicle oh. uh, so i imagine yeah. that impacted on uh my mum and dad who were left with five children and the families mm. my mum's family was quite knit, close-knit so i had a lot of aunties my mm. dad's family didn't really you know a few of them met but the family was always important in my life and it was about we never went without you know our parents did yeah. good for us but yeah. i always mm. felt from a young age that it wasn't all about where i was so we're talking about times in the you know the 60s no internet yeah i felt oh, yeah. that we used to talk to each other we'd have yeah. to sit down at the table and mums would make you your I thought yeah. everybody had egg and chips on a Monday and egg and chips and beans on a Friday. Yeah. That Sunday dinner, which was usually chicken, uh, sometimes beef. We had Yorkshire puddings on a Sunday. And then yeah. Monday was egg, chips and beans. Tuesday it was shepherd pie. So I remember when I was a kid going to the local butchers to get, get a pound of mince meat. Yeah. For, yeah. for about eight bob. Then it went up to ten bob, 50p, as it was yeah. in Mm -hmm. I remember going to pay the rent for my mum sometimes to the council offices. It was all very local. And you couldn't yeah. be naughty. Well, yeah. you, you could try and be naughty, but mm -hmm. your mum always got told. And you'd yeah. often wait till your dad come home. <laughs> so, and they used to get, take us to Sunday school. Well, well, we'd have to go to Sunday school when I was a kid because then yeah. my mum could do the washing on a Sunday. It wasn't really religious. Yeah. Oh, when I was about eight or nine, I was told, if you're naughty, God will find out. <laughs> and at night time, it'll, it'll, it'll crawl. Thanks. My husband's bringing me coffee here. At well, night time, yeah. if you're naughty, God will know and he'll come in your mouth and eat you inside out. Yeah. So yeah. They literally put the thing of God in me. So yeah. I often slept with a cushion on my mouth. <laughs> I couldn't scare. Uh, but yeah. uh, there were four channels, I think. BBC mm. One, two. ITV, yeah, three then it was all black and white. Wow, no central eating. <laughs> if you can imagine that, we'd have to all run downstairs to the gas fire. Yeah, wow. But I used to plan timing it right so I'd, I'd get there when it was warm. Mm. So it was like that, but we never went went without with our parents. They loved us, the family loved us. But mm. in the summer, I would spend all my summer holidays from about the age of nine. Till mm. 16, uh, my granddad had three caravans. She was a oh, unique yes. lady. She had mm. freedom. My granddad died when I was about 10, same years as my brother died, actually. So, mm. my grand obviously was lonely. So, somehow, me and my grand persuaded my mum to allow me to go to Inglemales and stay in the caravan with my nan. Yeah. But mm. I used to work, it was a way I used to earn uh, 
What should I earn? Uh, I think one pound fifth or fifty. I used to earn fifty p a day bottle collecting seven days a week. Mm. I used to earn one pound fifty a day uh, working in a bingo hall. So I like to count and do the times tables. Yeah, wow. so I'm motivating driving force to earn money because I realised if I had money and if I had freedom, uh, I had more choice in my life, but I wouldn't have all these adults telling me what to do. Right to do. <laughs> and because all kids played together, you know, the parents trusted us to be back when we should have been, you know, be back yeah. before it gets dark. But we knew that we had to stay together and we yeah. knew that if we didn't get back on time, we'd be grounded. So there were all these norms that made us, I wouldn't say worldly wise, but they enabled us to see if we did things, we restricted our freedom. Yeah, yeah. And, and yeah, so it was kind of like that. So then as I went into secondary school, I never passed my 11 plus. I always thought I was stupid and thick. Oh. <laughs> and I was no good at academics. So I just tried harder, but I never told anybody about it. Yeah. So uh, I, I learned that if I could do things that I liked and I enjoyed and the mm -hmm. teachers thought I was good, I wouldn't be teacher's pet because if it re it's self-sabotage here because mm -hmm. when I reached to a point of being good, I yeah. realised that people noticed me and I like helping my friends with the homework, but I mm -hmm. didn't like the teacher telling me, oh, well done, Sharon, you've done good. So I'd do what I could to get thrown out of class. <laughs> I self-sabotage all the time. So yeah. it was important because I realised from the age of nine, yeah, about nine, that I yeah. had this vision when I was a kid. I was looking at the sea. I don't know if you've ever been by the North Sea. The uh, yes. North Sea. Yeah. Looking at it after we'd been fishing for conger eels and I was looking down and seeing the wildness in the sea and I realised there was much more than just living in a town or with people. And I thought, how do I get there? I need to be free. Mm -hmm. So I spent my whole life working to be free. But the problem mm -hmm. with wanting to be free, you do it in your own way. Yeah. Often you do it in secret and it's very lonely. Mm. And the irony is when you get to the point when you think you're free, your own – I've learned since writing the books this last year and having a mm. couple of mentors, you reach yeah. a point of freedom – and then you're so good at what you do that other things happen because people see you, as Cal Newport says, you become so good, you can't be ignored. And then I got trapped mm -hmm. in where I was in my situation and that would be very, very frustrating. Yeah. So I, I would actually uh, <clears throat> strategically exit from that, that part of my life where I didn't want to be and it was very painful because I had to start again. Yeah. And, yeah. and I even when I was 16, I did French for my A level. Mm. Let's go with three O levels English, yeah. history. So English meant I could write. History meant I know a bit about the past, especially Henry VIII. Yeah. All his wives. So we learned a lot about divorce and marriage from Henry VIII, you know, <laughs> about what women should and shouldn't do. Useful uh, lessons in life. Yeah, yeah very useful, Henry VIII, for life. And there was. Yeah in those days and the other one was human biology which meant i kind of know a bit about my body but mm. i also started judo when i was 15 because ah. yeah so i i when i first i had a fight when i was 15 with this girl who was bullying me 
She's a bit bigger than me. Yeah. And, uh, my mum said to me, Sharon, I've got to talk to you about something. And I thought, oh, shit, what have I done? <laughs> and, she, and she said, you've been fighting at your age. What will the neighbours say? It's so yeah. embarrassing. <laughs> but if you want to do something like that, do it where no one can see you. Go do judo or something. Mm. And then she threw in a comment. Well, she said, well, you might do judo, but you never stick at anything, so you'll never stick at anything. Oh. Changing. Quite quite perceptive was my mum. Yeah. So I did. I found a judo club when I was 15. And I, I went on the mat. We were so poor, I couldn't afford a judo suit. I was just wearing blue corduroy, turquoise corduroy, trousers and that woolly jumper that i got from a jumble sale and i got thrown and i was battered all over the mat you know it, uh, i was sweaty i was 15 i was spotting and uh, when i finished it was so exhilarating being bruised all over the place and we, we did a relaxation technique it was a meditation mindfulness visualization technique at the end because that's what we did. But you know, mm. the coach was amazing. He actually came from Essex. He came from Camden Island. Mm. Oh. And, and but uh, he'd watch me, and he go, "Shut stop moving." He said, "Go relax." Because <laughs> <So laughs> the first thing that you want to do when you relax is scratch yourself. Yeah. And I looked at the brown belts and the black belts on the mat, and I, I was in year eleven at school. Mm. Mm -hmm. And I thought, I want to do that. I want to be a black belt. I want to be a judo teacher. Yeah. Um, doing the judo enabled me also to, it provided a, a platform from which to go to different places like Birmingham <laughs> and London mm. and uh, Bolton. I think we went to Bolton once and Cardiff. So it enabled, mm. the judo enabled me to go to other places. Uh, were you doing competitions in those places? Well, and... I had to pick my competitions very carefully, no internet. So we had like a magazine or my judo coach would tell me. And we used yeah. to take the phone. So I used to spend all the money that I earned in the holidays mm -hmm. where I worked in the bingo hall and uh, or a cafe or in the, what else was it, bottle collecting to pay for yeah. my judo. But I also used to make things. We made mm -hmm. our own clothes. We made our own shoes. I made dolls and I sold them when I was mm -hmm. 15. And I uh, that money enabled me to fund the judo or to mm -hmm. go where I wanted to go. I paid for my bus fare to see my nan. So when I was seven or eight, I remember get, using the money I earned, little bits of money, to pay for my double-decker bus fare to travel across Leicester. So mm -hmm. I was, like, adventuring out all the time. And yeah. I remember when I was 15 at the secondary school. I mean, it, it would be it would be wonderful <laughs> entrepreneurship now, but I went to the girls' secondary school. Yeah. And uh, I used to employ my brothers and their friends to stuff the arms of these dolls. I paid them half a P each. So they were <laughs> pleased. They could earn 2P for stuffing their <laughs> arms. Anyway, so I got called into the, the head teacher's uh, office. It was Deputy Head's office one day. 15 I was, and she went, Sharon? And I went, hello, Mrs. Caddick, I think her name was. She was also the head of RE as well. She said, mm. I hear you've been doing things. I said, I do lots, miss. <laughs> and she went, no, 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 no. You have been selling things. You sell dolls mm. and gonks that you make. Yeah, 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 I do this. 
we are not a marketplace. <laughs> if I catch you selling anything again, you will be suspended. Mm. So I used to still do it, but sell it at the other end of the school playing fields. But it brought me more money in. So it helped me earn money to pay for my jumpy field trips and all sorts of stuff like that. Mm. So I was always aiming to, to go further afield, level. And when I left school, we left school at 16. Mm -hmm. uh, the only direction for me was a factory, usually. Uh, that's what yeah. we did. Quite good pay knitwear, shoewear, hosiery, uh, stockings, knickers, all the mm. factories in Leicester. It was abundant with jobs, no problem. Yeah. And I remember my mum saying, oh, there's a job come up in the factory that you, that you can go and do when you leave school. I said, I don't want to do that. I don't want to work yeah. She said, oh, I don't know what else you're going to expect to do. I said, neither do I, but I'm not doing that. And I remember yeah. the look she, she uh, gave me. And she said to me once, I hope when you have kids, they're like, you! <laughs> it's like, yeah. really did like it. But, so what I did was I, I left school with three O-levels. In fact, I didn't, wasn't very good at all. But uh, I went to, I applied to go to sixth form uh, mm -hmm. to do these things called A-levels. I'd already done computer science CSE programming, and I was told, "If Sharon, if you go on and do programming, learn loads of money, it's going to be big. And I went, well, how big? How big is this computer lot going to be? And they went, big. I went, well, yeah. go to Nottingham or London. And they said, no, it'll take over the world, and you'll be able to computers will be the future, because a computer was the size of a big office. Yeah. It was tape with holes in, and you spend yeah. an hour and a half programming to put the tape in with the uh, smelly technicians with smelly sweat under their armpit, <laughs> and they take it off you, and uh, then it'll get error number blah blah, and you think shit, I don't want anything to do with computing. So I used <laughs> the judo to get me to where I needed to go. Yeah. And at mm. six form. The I got rejected from three because I was council estate, you know, not uh, not in the posh area. Leicester. Mm. And the Miss Green, she interviewed me. She was like a brogue lady with tan tights, like Miss Jean Brody, tan tights, check skirt, uh, curly hair, and a twin suit, twin set. And she said, Why do you want to come here? Do you want to come here, Sharon? I went, No, not really. And she said, Why do you, why do you want to come here? I said, well, education is my own way, only way out. Uh, yeah. I wasn't musical. I had no mm. skills at all. All I knew was that education was my only way out. But I didn't know what education was. All I thought it was was learning things. So yeah. that I could get a job in an office or a shop. Yeah. yeah. And so I, I did <laughs> I did I did French A level. Mm. And I'd got an E in my French at O level, so that's like a GCSE bottom grade. Uh, mm. I did geography, uh, mm. and I'd failed that. I'd got a D in that as well. <laughs> and I was no good at science. They didn't let me do science at school. I just did human biology. So where were they going to put me in the sixth mm. form? Well, she said, well, what do you like? Very much, you've only got three. And I went, well... I like the geography and I like the French. She don't want you can resit those. And yeah. the thing is with language, your second language is only as good as your can only ever be as good as your first. Well, mm. my English was not very good. I was very good at spelling, but not my grammar. So anyway, we agreed to doing French and geography. Mm. 
Mm -hmm. I didn't have my maths syllable, so I had to redo that. Yeah. And uh, she said, well, we need to give you three A-levels. Yeah. And I said, oh, what else could I do? And everything she said to me, I'm no good at that, I'm no good at that. No, 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 no. Sure, you know, we've got a new one coming here, sociology. <laughs> so, how, how can I like Sociology is uh, seen as like uh, general studies. <laughs> it's like, oh, my God, you know, we'll give her that because it, it's, it's no, a mm. traditional girls' grammar school, you know, yeah, yeah. innovative, revolutionary. <laughs> and, uh, yep, so that's mm. what I did. I did for my A-levels. I was crap at French, although I love to speak it. Not very good. I failed my French. Yeah. yeah. Uh, geography, I did get a C. And I did go on to get a C in geography. And I got a B in sociology. Uh, so I yeah. left A-level with two... A level. I left sixth form with two A levels, geography and sociology, and I love people, and I love seeing how uh, people evolved and cities yeah, yeah. and ethnicity, everything to do with people and mm. how we mm. how we developed and that sort of thing. I was really interested in that. Mm. So I then uh, I heard a uni, but well, it was polytechnic. I went to Portsmouth and I did geography. I got mm. a D in it. They only offered me a D in it to get in, so I, I went there. But the reason I went to Portsmouth it was because of an old boyfriend. He went there, and we split up previously. I thought maybe we'll get back together. But then yeah. I thought I can do my judo. The geography is only seven hours of lectures a week, <laughs> and I could do my judo, my sport, and my fitness. Yeah, because mm. I was riding high then. I just got my, uh, I was, I got my brown belt. Um, oh, I was legendary yeah. champion. I was living the dream. I could ride a bike. Couldn't drive. Mm. Were, were, you, were, were you still traveling at that time, doing the judo to other places? Well, I used my pocket money and the money I earned to go on the train uh, yeah. to Birmingham and London. And in fact, because we'd always been used with buses, the thing about a bus is when you've had your ticket, you throw away. So mm. the first time I went to Birmingham from Leicester, I was 17. And uh, I got off the train and I just threw my ticket in the bin thinking it was a bus bus ticket. And then yeah. the, the train uh, guy at the office, he said, oh, have you got your ticket? I went, no, it's in the bin. What do I want it for? He said, well, you have to keep it till you go home. I thought, oh, shit. <laughs> get home. And there's no telephones, is there? There's nothing like that. Yeah. So so it was train, train, and then when I was at yeah. university or poly, as it was then, I used mm. to run everywhere and walk everywhere and cycle everywhere. Uh, buses just took too long. Mm. So that's mm. how I, I got And then we went hitching. Hitching was good. You could do it safely in those days, more or less. So yeah. we hitched over to, in the summer holidays, we hitched down to France and Spain and back up to home. And it mm. was, there was true freedom then. Um, yeah, good. And then, and because I was well, in February, eight, 1980, I got I got my black belt in judo. I got reserve national squad. I was still middle area champion. So I was on a riding high in February, March. I was really riding high. Three years I spent getting to where I was. I was doing my degree. I was running in the morning. Mm. Uh, I didn't bother. I used to run till I did till I ran out of breath. Yeah, as Forrest Gump would say, and 
I also, in the holidays, because we got a student grant in those days, £1,185. Mm. Parents didn't contribute because there wasn't enough. But you got money in the holidays to pay for your your accommodation, which was £18 a week. So I always wanted a bit extra money. So I'd get a job working on the side as a in a carrot cafe, cleaning, you know, I just did it. And then I realised that uh, to get, I didn't like clothes that were in the shops. So what I did was I found these little uh, posh ladies shops mm. in Portsmouth. And now I was told that if you if you bring appropriate clothes, and now I could I know they're called name brand clothes, in, yeah. we'll sell them for you. So <laughs> I thought, oh, so we had jumble sales there. So in my first year at, at Polytechnic when I was 18, 19, what I would do was go to a jumble sale, buy, I don't know, spend up to a fiver on clothes, take yeah. it to the cleaners. And get it dry cleaned immaculately, take it to the shops, yeah. on push bike, and uh, I'd go back in a couple of weeks. And I remember the first time they said, Oh, and I'd spent 18 pounds. They said, Oh, here's a hundred pounds. And mm. I went, Oh, wow. we said, no, we've not sold it all yet. You've probably got about 20 or 30 quid's worth more coming back. So within a mm. month, I'd earn 130 pounds, take away, I'd earn about 110 pounds. So we're just buying some clothes and selling them. And selling, wow. <laughs> so from the dolls, I progressed to buy this. So there were no charity shops then. Yeah. And if I'd have known now what I knew then, you know, I could have set up all sorts of things. Yeah, um, I did. I was on a mission to yeah. <laughs> get learning, get educated, and get a really good job and a career. Yeah, wow. But, but I mean, would, would, you, would, would you say this was more sort of a coming from within in yourself because there, was there any sort of a mental figure or people that you, you could see who were doing something that you wanted to uh, or you were inspired to follow them or they would guide you in any particular way? But well, it sounds like, yeah? My gran, because I used to go and stay with her and she was the epitome of freedom. As far yeah. as I saw my nan, she, she, she had no husband. She hadn't killed yeah. him like every day, but <laughs> she'd, he, my granddad had died and she had these three caravans. When her mm. mum died and her dad mm. died, she had inherited some money. It was about a £1,000. Yeah. <coughs> and her own house. So she bought the caravans and we used to go to stay in them and she'd rent them out. So I could see what my nan was doing. She used to clean in the pub. Yeah. So, so long as I did as I was told and come back when I was told and earn a bit of money, I had complete freedom. Then uh, I went to France and I saw further afield then, realising that I was even further from my parents and the mm. aunties wouldn't see me and could yeah. do what I wanted. I'm not saying I was naughty, but it helped me do my judo. And then I yeah. had a judo coach. She said to me, few months after I started, do you want me to take you on? I went, yeah, okay. He said, well, do what I say. Oh, okay then. Mm -hmm. So through him, he he was like neuro-linguistic programming on the judo mat. He was well ahead of his time. And yeah. he, he was of the old type. You know when you say the old type? He, black was black, white was white. Yeah. And if you didn't do as you were told, well, you made your own bed, you know, you made your own bed and laid it. Mm. Same approach as my nan. They, they had boundaries. They knew the boundaries. They knew what they were doing. 
uh, and I got on with it. And that's what I did. I kind of set the boundaries and got on with it. Uh, As I went to university, I had another new coach, junior coach, Dennis Penfold. He was a silver medalist in in Europe, European silver silver medalist in the 50s. Mm. And I learned from him. Uh, I always used to look for the lecturers that were successful at what they were doing and enjoyed what they did. And there were a few there. There's a few tales to tell about those. <laughs> 70, you know, the late 70s, early 80s. And there still wasn't the internet around. So yeah. you could do things and, and not be found out. Yeah. <laughs> so they were mentors. Then mm. I just used to search out people that, that were good at what they did. Yeah. But how did they get there? And mm. when I was 18 no when i was 19 if you remember i said i got my black belt at judo mm. uh millionary champion reserve for national squad i went to, i went to national squad training and i had a major injury i some stupid green belt of a bloke a big bloke he just like went behind me and it twisted and i laid i heard this crack and it was my ankle Ooh. and i was taken home in a car and i couldn't do judo Wow. So I started climbing and doing other sports where I didn't have to use judos, just keep fit. And uh, it was May. I was at a disco one night about two o'clock and I, I heard this crack and it was the medial ligament in my knee. It had snapped. Whoa. So bang, went the judo again. And then I carried up with the climbing and uh, I was up Simmons Yacht. Uh, Simon Jat in uh, Forest of Dean climbing. Mm. I was, it was my second climb up the cliff. I was about 40 foot up and I reached up like that with my right arm. As I pulled, I heard this crack, snap, <laughs> rip. It was the whole of here. I ripped yeah. the whole rotator cuff. Sounds painful. <laughs> uh, childbirth is a pleasure thing. Mm. Uh, so my whole judo career, was that was the end of my sporting career because my shoulder would just dislocate as I went. So I was a bit, so any sports person or anybody that has worked so hard, um, mm. the rug is just pulled out from them. Uh, no wonder that they feel pain more than, than anything because when you're at the top of your sport, there's yeah. a very fine line between being super fit and being injured. Yeah, wow. And, and that first six months of uh, May uh, went from, complete success to be bedridden i just couldn't mm. get out of bed mm. so i just when i could walk i'd be off cycling yeah you know we just got on with it really no chance to get you pressed or miserable and cry you could cry alone no one would know but nobody yeah. was bothered because you know for anybody that's injured or miserable or depressed people have asked you a few times how are you and you got yeah. a high number, but they don't want to hear it too much. So yeah. <laughs> I, I kept to myself and just got on with life. Yeah. So that yeah. took me up to about the age of 21. Yeah. Yeah. And I had the operation on my shoulder when I was 22. Uh, eventually got accepted to teaching practice mm. in 83. So I was yeah. like 23. Yeah. So I went to America for a few summer holidays and did Bunicamp. So I taught judo. Yeah. But and then I did fight again at the British Students Judo Championships. 
Okay. Within, we I had the operation in eighty three, February eighty three. Yeah. Started mm -hmm. teaching practice in September. The teaching course, my PGCA, in September eighty three. Mm. Uh, by February, I was back fighting at national level, and I got a silver mm. or a bronze in the British Student Judo Championships. Yeah. Wow. So that was. I knew I was good because I could beat men that were black belts first and some second. Yeah. I don't know how fit I was, but I'm sure I was very fit. For sure. Yeah. And it wow. just the judo just carried me forward because I remember at my interview, the teaching practice, and he said, "Oh, well, what geography have you done?" And I thought, "Shit, I haven't done much at all. You know, I've done a bit of this, that, and the other." And I said well i've done this and i said what i've done i said but one of the reasons that geography was brilliant was because i was able to focus on my sporting career and we started to talk about judo and he mm. said oh, i'd like to offer you a place here sharon thank you it's been a privilege and then i began to realize well it's not necessarily about learning the subject mm -hmm. it's the whole thing that goes with it about being passionate and enjoying yeah. it and the things to do what they call resilience now yeah doing it having a passion it's shining out of your eyes sharing it with the people helping people mm. uh so that took me there and the, my experiences of going to america and all the other stuff that i did and helping people it's like helping people i did it through the teaching of judo yeah yeah so then i had a teaching career after that but I was always strategically exiting from or reinventing yourself, as I heard yesterday from a conference I was on. But that's kind of, so I always live my dream. Yeah, no, that's good. You can probably relate to that about living your dream, mm. enjoying what you do with passion. Yeah. Life on your terms, freedom. <laughs> but the mentors, the mentors are just so important, the coaches, mm. whether you pay for them or not. They're there, they enable you to see and learn different things and they guide mm. you and they yeah. offer you a perspective. And mm. they've usually got your best interests at heart. Sometimes they get a bit pissed off or, <laughs> and, oh, well, I'll do it your way then. Yeah. But then, you know, you sit back and think. Yeah, no, it, 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 sound, it sounds like uh, you realised from an earlier on that uh, you, ha you had to drive your own agenda in, 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 in terms of... Uh, what you wanted to achieve because there wasn't uh, anyone who was gonna like you know give you a silver spoon or something but uh, if you needed anything to drive yourself you would call upon these mentors but the initial sort of inspiration or motivation was within to do the things that uh, were driving you and that freedom and you know traveling to america and driving your judo your teaching everything was was you isn't it you know it also, a few things I've learned this year. I mean, I have paid for mentors over the last three years and coaches, but I also learned from lots of other people and books and videos. Mm. Uh, what I've specifically learned is that it starts within you. Yeah. No one's coming for you except, you know, the dark at the end of your life. That's going to mm. happen. Yeah. But... You, you've got to do it yourself and you can't do it on your own. Yeah. You can only go so far on your own. You go pretty fast. But it comes to a point where 
the story that you tell yourself that evolves, mm. it gets replayed again and again yeah. and again. And you may you will do it unknowingly. And all the I heard the other day, well I've known for ages, kids picked up a lot when the kids mm. uh, that film Inside Out, the animated film, is is very good for showing this. But they actually learned about 70% of what they learn through life is in the first seven years of their life. Yeah. So, and you don't realise, do you? It's mm. only when you you go ahead and do what you want or when somebody else tells you what to do it. I mean, life can hit you or you can choose to go into your life, yeah. curate it and create it. Yeah. But knowingly or unknowingly, but... And if you do it unknowingly, you, you, you end up quite lonely a lot of the time because you're not doing what everybody else wants. So yeah. you reach a point where no matter what you try and do, you can't you can't go any further. And and it's like sports. There's a thing called mesocycles, and that's your energy levels. When you're training really hard, mm -hmm. there is a point. So say if you're training for, say, 12 weeks, there is a mm. point in that 12 weeks where no matter what you do, it's you can't if you try harder you actually don't improve you get worse your body's like adapting to what has happened oh, it's creating a mesocycle which is a cycle so for me it's about five weeks so <clears throat> in terms of energy in about five or six weeks if i keep pushing on and on and on i have five to six weeks i'm going to get injured if i go at the same level so i learned this quite a few years ago when i when i kind of rim i started doing more sports so and it is like life you can go so far as only as far as you can take you yeah because yeah. you'll reach that point and then the realization may come or may not but if you push through a boundary you're you're either scaling up or growing and your uh your brain part of your brain i can't remember what it's called now mm. what's the anyway the brain uh not the prefrontal, the, the other part, but it, it, it kind of, it's your safety net. It keeps you safe. Yeah. You go, it keeps you safe. And so somehow uh, fear happens or you're worried what will happen or if I get to here and I'm successful. And you might not be consciously thinking it, but it happens. And, and uh, it, that story, so for me, it was replayed through injury, um, oh. car accident road accident mm. um, another injury <laughs> saying or doing something really stupid which which i really shouldn't have said or done and really peed off everybody around me yeah. it was the truth yeah. so it's self-sabotaging isn't it yeah so uh, and i remember a manager saying to me once uh your own worst enemy sharon <laughs> is there something wrong with you you know yeah. Why? Why? Why is it happening to me? Why do I always make a yeah. it? But but isn't that in in contrast with the uh, you know you you shouldn't really care much about what people think about you if you've got uh you know some agenda or some uh, place that you want to be you just go with the flow go with your instinct and all your full energy rather than because if you start thinking about what other people think and all of those kind of things you can slow you down so is there a balance there to strike around that it's a balance to get because i did really didn't care about what people thought mm. uh, and i would do apart from there's 
there is a saying to the whole world you're one person but to one person you're the world okay so if you think yeah. in your life right there yeah. have been certain people in your life yeah really didn't want you really valued what they said yeah and they made a difference to your life and you knew if you did or said the wrong things well you know they might forgive you but in your heart you know yeah. that you get that so the people that didn't matter to me or didn't bother to me in my eyes yeah. well they could say what they want they were fuel for the fire and yeah. <laughs> it was uh you know i think you haven't even done it you know this is a teenage mm. kids 20 you know young kids and kids you haven't done it. How can you tell me what to do? You yeah. don't know. You don't know what I want. You haven't even asked me what I want. Now you're trying to tell me what to do. And there you are. And it was like these thoughts. So they 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 were perhaps projected by me just doing my own thing. Yeah. Mm. In the early days, I used to uh, deliberately uh, antagonise <laughs> advocate to get the reactions because I learned from them. Yeah. And whether they were shitty people or nice people or whatever, I mean, everybody's nice somewhere yeah. in their soul. It's a case of finding it. So over time, I learned to listen more to what people would say. But yeah. sometimes it's just just too late because personal things get in the way or I'm off. Yeah. So in my teaching career, I've always loved to find uh, it's great spotting kids with potential or kids that don't realise their potential, or kids that know that yeah, everybody's got potential, but I can only go so far with them. So my aim also has been in life with teaching is to really help children and inspire them through what I did yeah. and uh, by reaching them. And even if I couldn't reach them, I'd connect with other people that could reach them, mm. which was a great lesson for, for my own kids, really. I've got two. Yeah. So it's about leverage, isn't it? Leveraging and working with other people, helping yeah. them to mm. see their potential. Because so many people don't see their potential. They don't see what's inside them. That's why mentors are good, because yeah. they see what you cannot see, and they're non-judgmental. Yeah. And and what, what, what do you think is the, the role of, of mindset? Because mindset is a big thing, isn't it? You know, And uh, it, 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 it is one which can... Uh, shift in, in a way make or break people in terms of the direction that they, they want to go so the the right positive mindset or even uh, when they talk about controlling people's emotions and all those kind of things what, what's your experience and what what are your views around those two things about the right mindset to have in everything that people are doing and how it drives uh, people's agendas okay right so with regards to mindset i mean that word has only been around i've only been hearing about it in my world for the last five years or so mm. okay mindset mindset uh it's like well-being yeah <laughs> uh, resilience is yeah. a word mindfulness yeah it, it's come into my world and the world more so when people have gone through difficulty so if you if you set your mind to a certain point, your mindset is set, yeah? Yeah. So set the mind, the mind is set. So <clears throat> if you have a closed mind and you know what you want to do and you're focused on it and your views and opinions are your world, yeah. Uh, 
your perspective is a very close one. Yeah. It's good because you can focus and you you, you you know what you know about, okay, and your opinions are your opinions. Whether they have validity or not, that's another thing. But if you have an open mindset uh, and you're willing to learn hmm. and take things in and understand and listen, that gives you perspective. So the more perspectives you have, the more you can see and the more potential you can see. Now, on the other hand, mm -hmm. if you've got loads of perspectives, you could get yeah. overwhelmed and you move away further from yourself. Yeah. Which means that you spend a lot of time, or for me, exploring all avenues and you, you, you lose the light in your life. You lose where you're going because you know what you've got to do and you want to do it, but you go on an adventure. Mm. So mm. It's, it's about when do you close the mind, when do you open the mind? Because yeah. education and learning, education and learning is not just about filling the brain, it's opening the mind as well. Yeah. So with, with the judo, if I give an example, uh, I knew I got better when I increased my grades. So when mm. I got my black belt, I was good. Yeah. Now, if I'd have had the mindset that I'd got to my black belt and that was it, that would have been a closed mindset because I didn't yeah. need to do anything. All I needed to do was maintain that. But if my mindset was open that, well, there's the first down, the second down, the third down, the fourth down, uh, I could go for more and do more and create a bigger mm. adventure. Mm. So I, when I was about 17, 18, I thought a lady who did judo, she was saying, Anne Hughes, now I got injured and she was British champion. And we drew, I think. We drew. And uh, she carried on. She's now six done. Wow. I injured and I stopped. So my mind was always open to being successful at what I wanted to do and achieving what I wanted to do. But when I got to that success point, my mind, I imagine, must have closed because I was determined to achieve it. Mm. But I didn't know what I'd do. There was no overall plan. I didn't know what I was going to do to achieve it. Mm -hmm. So I didn't have a bigger plan. All I, all I saw was my mind was close to achieving that goal, and I did what I could. But I also know as part of the process of learning, I had to open myself up to understand mm -hmm. more and learn more to get more and give more as well. Yeah. But yeah. at the end of the day, when I was a kid or when I was young, mindset it was just like having a a mind that was you know you just got on and did it um, yeah. and you got on and did it as my grand said you laid yeah. you made your bed and you laid in it so the more open the mind the bigger bed you've got yeah. the more, yeah. more enjoyment you have yeah. but if your mind is closed you may be happy or not in your own world but that is what you see yeah so pros and cons and both but the main thing is well, i left school with three levels and i was a writer i was going to go work in the factory and have kids six or seven kids i can't imagine that but yeah that was me uh if i'd had a closed mind that's what i would have probably done mm. because i opened my mind and realized there was more i just got on and did what i did in a different way and yeah. had a different adventure yeah carried on learning the Open Mindset. There's a book called yeah. Car Carol Dweck. Ah, uh, oh, here it is. Oh. <laughs> it's called Mindsets. 
Ah, okay. Can you see it? Yeah, yeah, I can the see it. Yeah. Mindset. So the research has done is that if you if you have a closed mindset, it's all or nothing. Yeah. And your point of reference is if I don't achieve it, I failed. Yeah? Yeah. Uh, yeah. But with an open mindset, oh, I'm gonna learn more. And although you may not be any good at the beginning, by the mm. end of the process that's occurred, you you may know more and you've carried on, your mindset has carried yeah. you through like a floating magic carpet carries mm. you through. But if you think in education since the eighties, everybody's wanted everybody to succeed. Yeah. So a lot of people now, especially youngsters, they've not experienced failure in their life. <laughs> It's and to fail on the good side is that you you get up and carry on with it and you handle it. But if yeah. if you have a closed mindset where it's all or nothing, you'll do everything to avoid avoid failure. Failure, yeah, yeah. And if you've got all the voices in your head saying you're rubbish, you're no good, uh, you've got to do this, you know, this is the best thing for you. So you hear all the voices in your head. So by having a closed mat, closed mindset, you hear the voices in your head, and you, you don't hear your own voice. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But when you've got your open mindset and you want to learn, you may hear them, but it's about finding what's right for you. What's right for you. And that, that that's a key point, isn't it? it? It's all about what's your purpose for you and where do you want to go. But uh, even, even that, is there some sort of alignment of that purpose or where you want to go with the things that... Uh, you are good at like your strengths or your weaknesses because if you know what you can do you can utilize that to the best of your ability and knowledge and you know the areas that you are weak at you can seek improvement or education and all of that or even leverage out those kind of areas but everything is towards your goal and your purpose because that's what puts you in your in your mindset is there, is there a link around that because just just like uh, you said you come to a point when you don't want to do this but you don't know what to do then you can get get stuck in a way isn't it but uh, how do you then find out what you want to do if you have an open mindset maybe you're open to looking at other things and all that so how I mean, does this link yeah i mean very interesting what you're saying about alignment Mm. That's the first thing. Uh, in March 2019, mm. uh, I uh, found a mentor. And my mm. goal with that mentor was to create alignment. Yeah. To enable a natural flow, go with the flow. Yeah. Uh, in relationships, even with yourself, mm. you, you could go so far with your enabler. But at some point, especially the decision-making point, that person, whether it be you or somebody else, will be your biggest disabler because you know you need them to shift forward is yourself. Mm. But if you don't work on enabling alignment, it means that the same ending to the story happens or you stop, you come to a full stop. So alignment is really important, but I've only realised this in the 18 months. Yeah. Uh, 
when you're on the journey of whatever you are doing your best focusing on the goal you think you found the light at the end of the tunnel and you're heading towards it that's your mm -hmm. goal that's yeah. your but then on the journey as you discover more you begin to question yourself is that me is this what it's about and then when you when you go into a world where there's other it's like waiting for buses to come along nobody's yeah. there to help you then suddenly everybody's doing it yeah. in a situation where you start comparing yourself to other people so then that kind of brings me back to i was a kid and i was useless and i was no good at anything mm. uh it's like going back to when i was like nine again i'm no good at anything everybody's better than me mm. i've got nothing special i'm no good at anything because everybody's better than me and it's mm. this vicious circle and you think right go back to the plan so what the mentor did he said what's your plan and i went what do you mean and he said well you plan for life and i went well, just want to be happy. He said, yeah, we all do, don't we? Yeah. So how the book, uh, the E-Myth, uh, and I said, yeah, I've read that, uh, the E-Myth, I've got all my books here, Michael Gerber. Oh, the E-Myth, yeah. E and I said, yeah, I've read that. And I thought, shit, I hope he's not going to ask me to read that again because it's <laughs> It was really boring at the beginning. Yeah. It took me ages to get into it, but then it was really good. Mm. And he said, "Right, what you're going to do is you're going to you're going to read that, and you're going to apply it, and you're going to create the plan for your life and your business." Because by this time, I was like 18 months into my property investing journey, yeah. which uh, <clears throat> I started on the first of April 2017. Mm. I said, "What you want me to read it?" He said, "Yeah, read it properly." And he gave me a number of things to do. And it was about creating a plan for me and my husband. And we've been together for 30 odd years. Wow. And he said, you need to have a plan for life mm. and for the business so that your business, you can step away from your business. Your business can fund your lifestyle so that you love to, so you can do what you love to do. Like a key guy, you know, mm. you have your passion. Uh, you, you, you enjoy what you're doing, you help other people, you put them together and it, it earns money because you're solving other people's problems. Mm. Uh, so he said, that's what you need to do. So I spent a month working really digging deep and I had my plan, which evolved. It was work in progress, but I was really yeah. proud. And then he said, oh, that's good. He said, right, who's doing what in the business? I went, what do you mean? He said, well, what roles have you all got? So then it went back to identifying the roles. And he said, and what roles don't you need to do or don't you want to do so that your business runs without you? Mm -hmm. And I hadn't really internalised that in before. Uh, into 18, I had discovered the e-myth. Uh, when, I'd, when I'd broken my leg, actually, and I was stuck in bed and couldn't get out on the sofa, I'd ordered the e-myth and I'd read it. I thought, well, this, you know, it's, it, by the end, it was really good. So what I did was I utilised that book and applied the principles for the job I was working in at the time, which was working for a national charity. I was recruiting volunteers in Essex, actually. Mm. And uh, that was kind of gave me practice. So I thought, I kind of know what I'm doing. So all through my mentorship of 18 months, I was always aiming for alignment. So I always knew where I was heading. And every time I came to a problem or I saw somebody 
doing something that was brilliant. I mm. thought, I'm no good at anything. I went back mm. to that child. I thought, yeah, everybody's better than me. And I thought, hold on, hold on. Do I want to do that? And what's in my plan? So by the end of the 18 months, I have a mantra, which I learned mm. from my mentor, is whenever you're in difficulty, go back to the plan and say, is it in the plan? If it is, you know, add it in. If it's not, well, put it to where it could be useful. So, but always in what I've done, I've always helped people. And what mm. has not been interesting for me or, or was delivered by an expert, or I don't want to do it, there's somebody out there that wants to do it. So I always share. That's why I listen to people. Yeah. I do. And if there's an expert in the field or somebody that has a passion or somebody that's good at the same thing, I think, oh, that's useful with somebody else. So I connect them together. That's one yeah. of the that I do as well. So he would say that. So I reached a point over the last 18 months of uh, accepting that we've all got gifts, yeah. saying it, doing it, knowing it, and accepting it is like completely different actions. Those yeah. words, I know that, are really dangerous because uh, that closes your mind. I know that. There's nothing else I need to know. Yeah. Um, I know yeah. it. Uh, so I kind of accepted that. And then mm. I would, uh, part of the alignment process, I'd go back to the plan and I'd analyse what was stopping me. Because if I was feeling uncomfortable in myself or I couldn't, there was a gap between where I was and where I wanted to be, there's there's a dynamic equilibrium going on with lots of undulations. I used to teach geography, so lots of undulations here. <laughs> yeah. So with alignment, if I can go from A to B effortlessly and seamlessly, it means that I'm in alignment. There's nothing stopping me. I'm on the way to the light. On the way, yeah. If, yeah, if, if you can visualise, if you can see this, if, if my magic carpet, as I say, uh, starts to wobble on the way, there's misalignment mm -hmm. there, and it's there for a reason. And I don't know. And then I start exploring where that is, where it goes. And at the points where I think I've got a blooming clue here, I don't know what to do. It is what it is. Let's go for a walk back into nature, or let's just do something in different space, a different mm -hmm. time. Put my mind space in a different place. Usually, the answer comes to me in lots of different ways. But if your mindset is closed. You're not accepting what is because you know where you're going. But if it's stopping you with that alignment to where you want to go, you need – I found that with accepting that, I can then open my mind to see what comes in. And there's different thought processes that go on. So as you say about seeking, there is that saying in the Bible, seeking you shall find. Yeah. Yeah. yeah? And yeah. so – I'll give you an example. Last week, uh, I'd made this makeshift bookshelf and I thought it was okay. And then something happened and everything fell down. Yeah. I <laughs> everything. I couldn't get out of my room. It was like this high, all my books and everything. So what I did was I just thought, oh, it is what it is. I need a bookcase. Mm. I need to get a bookcase, put everything on. And I accepted it. Uh, and I was trapped in this swamp of books. books. I couldn't get out folders and everything. And I'm trying mm -hmm. to sort out my accounts at the time for something. And suddenly I thought, I oh, know, I'll go look on eBay. I look on Facebook. Uh, I look on the marketplace. And suddenly, since three days ago, I have never seen so many bookcases for sale <laughs> on Facebook. And within an hour, I've gone and bought a bookcase to put my books on. It's organised now. 
So I mean, it's like if you accept that it is what it is, you are yeah. where you are, uh, you apply uh, self-compassion. You know, I've tried my hardest, I've done what it is. Yeah. yeah. Think of the toll text for agreements. It's about doing your best at the time. Mm. Uh, is one of them and that's just where i you know where it is and when mm. that happens it, mm. it's like this you kind of link it's like yin and yang you link into something bigger you accept yeah. it the mind is open and if you can actually capture that that is the point at which you can change the trajectory of what you've done yeah, what do you do mm. there is a saying you're only one second away from a decision that can change your life always right. forever yeah. but it's your yeah. choice whether you do that so at those points of acceptance i capture mm. them go with them see what yeah. happens but yeah. stop the vision so i think right back to the plan and if you stay close to the fire you can then you that is your light at the end of the tunnel because you know where you're going yeah. with that also comes if you haven't got a plan when you come to the point where you want to go, you've narrowed the gap. Yeah. So what from where you are to where you want to be, you've narrowed the gap. What happens when you've narrowed the gap? And one thing that I learned this year, very painfully, when I was writing the second book that I wrote, mm -hmm. I life, was I reached a point of celebrating and embracing my successes because part of the success cycle is embracing and celebrating success. A yeah. win is a win. It doesn't matter what it is. So many people say, oh, but I just. No, no, no. It's the win. Enjoy. So what happened was, was I enjoyed and I embraced my successes. But then I got complacent. Mm -hmm. When you have complacency, it's the enemy of success. Because when you become successful, you are mindful in what you do. You have yeah. to be. But when you get successful, if you're not mindful and become complacent, you move further away from the success. Life is happening to you. Do you see that? Yeah. I so see. It's all the way through life. It's identifying a fine balance, mm. enabling the dynamic equilibrium to stay, keep you going on a flow. Because if you just go like that, it's all about the end goal. Yeah. You know, mm. All you see, and it's probably I spent in my 20s and 30s and 40s chasing the end goal. You're just going through that bullet of China shop. But when you kind of, as you say, go with the flow, yeah, learning experiences. So, but the the troughs become higher, and the highs become higher. So you raise yourself. Yeah, you're you're developing and growing. Yeah. Yeah, like Jonathan Livingston Steagall in that book by Richard Burke. So that way, what you do is you create the undulations. So instead of it being all or nothing. You create the undulations to take you to where your goals are. And you embrace everything around you. become part of what is, which is bigger than you. Yeah. Uh, and your world then can connect with other people's touch, coalesce. But if you know your boundaries, you've set your boundaries, and you know where you're going, mm. not only do you experience success and happiness, happiness, I call it, along the way, yeah. you can touch other people and inspire for infinity. Like a yeah. figure of eight that goes on and on and on. Yeah. That's what yeah. I mean. Yeah. No, that's uh, that's very insightful, Sharon. So um, just uh, walk, walk us through your, your books then, what the books that you've written. The books that I've written? 
Yes. The books that I've written. Oh, I haven't written them. I've co-authored them. Co-authored, yes, yeah. Which means that I have contributed with other yeah. authors. Yeah. Overall mm -hmm. theme. It's like, uh, you know, the fairy stories books. Hans Christian Hansen. They're all these stories. They're all different stories. Different stories, yeah. Mm -hmm. The book. That was by one author, Hans Christian Hansen. Yeah. Uh, this is by many. Uh, mm. When I started to invest in property, Actually, it goes back further. When I used to teach reflexology, and I learned mm. reflexology, I wanted to write a book about reflexology. Mm. And that was way back in the 90s, before the internet. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I thought, I want to write a book because I help, I teach and help. I work with thousands of people. Mm. And I created thousands of resources and books and courses. Yeah. yeah. And helped lots of people, but I never wrote a book. I created a booklet, but I wrote but I thought I want to write a book before I die. That's one of my goals. Mm. I'd have to do a couple. Uh, so when I started my property journey, investing in property to create the freedom for life that I wanted, not financial yeah. freedom, because financial freedom is it, it take it's there's no work in financial freedom because uh, it means that it's not meaningful to me. So yeah. through the property university, I thought what I want to do is I want to write a book to help people. And the one way I can do it is live it, live my life, live my plan intentionally, uh, visualising what's going to happen and experiencing it. So it's like live, the live principle. You live it intentionally, visualising the experiences. By yeah. living, uh, I've walked the walk. And then I can give so much more because not only am I sharing my experiences, mm -hmm. but there are words of wisdom in there, wow moments, as I call it. But I can share those words of wisdom and experiences to help other people yeah. that may be further down the line than me. So this was always my intention yeah. with the property. And I started last year doing, doing this on Facebook. Uh, it, it actually happened after my daughter uh, did a post on Instagram and I said, "Oh, you look lovely. Don't forget, don't forget to contact Granddad and send him his Christmas card." And she got a birthday card and she got back to me and said, "Mum, you don't write anything like that on Instagram." I said, "Well, what do you write?" And she, went, <laughs> she went, "Well, don't write anything in capital letters with an exclamation." I thought, "Stop that! I'm not having my daughter telling me what to do." So. Uh, it's serendipitously, there's a, a young man called Chris Taylor who started that week. He set a challenge about doing lives on Instagram and increasing yeah. social media. So I thought, oh, this can be my trial. And uh, I began to post on social media. It was June last year, yeah. uh, 2019. And I, I got quite confident with it. I, I started <laughs> posting. I got some nice comments. I thought, oh, this is nice. It's helping people. So then I found out that by accident, if I press a button on my phone, I could copy it and paste it in lots of groups. Yeah. Then somebody got back, and I was totally not mindful of this. I got complacent. And somebody said to me, Sharon, uh, your stories are nice. That's really good. But but people are getting a bit fed up with you because they're seeing your story all over the place. You can't well, copy and paste. And I went, why yeah. not? She said, it, it's a rule. You're breaking the rule. So what I did was, at that time, I then saw a post on Instagram. I opened my phone or iPad and it was just somebody put a message up looking for a co-author in a book. So this was July last year. 
Yeah. And that was the same time I was about to go on the speaking course. Uh, you know, the week speaking course. Yeah, yeah. So expert speaking uh, revolution. Yeah. And I, and I said, what? yeah. I went, yes, interested. And then I thought, oh, shit, what have I done? Then I said, how do I do it? And <laughs> so you always say, say yes and put yourself in the way of success. Exactly, so yes, exactly. yeah. Exactly. Put yourself in the way of success. So I didn't know where it would lead to. All I knew was I said, yes, what does it mean? And then there was the copyright and the legal side, and I started asking questions about that. And I thought, well, you know, it's can't turn it down. Why ask for something if you don't want it? And a couple of years ago, I always said I wanted to write a book. So mm. it was called Speaking From Our Hearts. Paul yeah. Lowe was the editor. And what it was, was it was 3,000 words, writing an inspiring story of how I transformed my life. So it's full of people's inspirational stories. Mm. And I, I thought, well, I better buy one of the previous books, it was the third book, to see what people write about. Mm. So I was guided and supported and coached by Paul, and I wrote the first story. Mm -hmm. And then I went on a few podcasts, and he mm -hmm. then said, uh, do you want to do another book? I went, yeah, okay. And then I went, I've got nothing to write about now. And <laughs> I went, we had a chat, and always we came up with some book titles. And mm -hmm. that that title of that story was Success, It's All in the Mind. Wow. Yeah, Success, It's All in the Mind, with a question mark, I think. Mm. Uh, but it, it was it went through my story. It was about what is success, you know? Does yeah. it is achievement and there's success? Success is a hundred percent achievement of the set goals, whatever mm -hmm. they are. They can be physical, yeah, like the judo belts. It can be uh, getting a Ferrari. Or a camper van in my case, that's success. Mm. Buying a house, owning your house. Yeah. Uh, achieving the KPIs of an organization. So, so, uh, so that's that's uh, that's achievement mm. of all the goals, which is success. But what mm. I learned was I took it beyond success. I don't know if you've been in this situation. You've mm. achieved the goals, you've been a hundred percent successful. Mm. Has this happened to you? You've done that. But there's something missing, and you yeah. don't know what it is, and you can't work it out. Yeah. You're not happy, you feel empty, you need to achieve more, you need to mm. do more, get more. But getting a car or getting a bike or getting a dog or achieving all the KPIs, getting your £50 gift voucher or your £1,000 is not enough. It, As you say, it's something deep inside you don't understand it yeah yeah so i went through in that book three thousand words we all only were allowed three thousand words that's yeah. all we were allowed which doesn't sound a lot when you're when you say it but when you're writing it and you got you're in the flow three thousand words isn't enough so yeah. i had to do radio edits and cut it down and basically, we broke up my life chapter story based on what is success. Because yeah. all the way through my career, in my teaching career, my management career with the local authority, 30 years ago, from the 80s, the goals were always success. 
But you know what you're funding? Your funding was dependent on success rates. Yeah. Mm -hmm. In that year. So it was a bit, I analyzed that and I realized that uh, the first thing is shappiness. 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 Now, <laughs> shappiness is uh, a combination, a hybridized word made up of success. Yes. Or happiness, or ha happy success, success mm. and happiness combined. Because if you are, because it, you are successful and it's meaningful and it has fulfillment and you've mm. got something to do, something to look forward to, and somebody and something to love because you're serving other people. Yeah. So you're actually transcending yourself and reaching other people. And that's where, for me, it's not about success. It's about the shappiness. Yeah. It's best with everything else. So that's what uh, mastering the game of the life is about. It's about people's mm. stories, uh, about how they went through transformations and what they did yeah. to uh, transform their life. Everybody's story is inspirational. When I read them, I thought, well, why has he asked me? You know, you know, mine's yeah. not as good as theirs. Uh, going back to the seven, eight-year-old child, you know, then I thought, well, he obviously asked me for a reason. He's the boss. Yeah. I'll just that's accept true. it. So mm. that's, that's, so that's that, everybody's got a story in them. Everybody. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely, and and it, it, it's it's all about getting inside yourself to get inspired to tell it in a way, you know. So um, yeah, no, that's uh, that's really really good. So where where you are now, are you? feeling like you are where you want to be at this particular moment like your plan and your vision and your purpose is clear in your mind in terms of direction where you want to go while still keeping an open mind to learn and grow in in other areas where where are you now i am where i am in this space in time yeah. and in my mind space that's mm -hmm. and it's about being present um, yeah. it's no good living in regret yeah. If you live in regret, you say oh, you'll you'll go to your deathbed saying, "I wish I had." And mm. even if you try and transform your life and move on, if you're carrying the old baggage, you're limiting your experiences. So at the minute, I am where I am. I'm quite happy with that, mm. uh, but there's still lots more to do. So I'm no. already going out. I'll write three yeah. more, contribute three yeah. more books next year. But yeah. the the transformation is about making a conscious decision about yeah. creating and creating your life and going through it. Because it's like it's a two-year cycle for anybody uh, that isn't sure about what to plan and how to plan. The book, the twelve-week year, is really good because mm -hmm. it talks of the ECOC model, the emotional cycle of change. Yeah. In any experience, okay, you reach at some point the lowest point, and that's mm -hmm. when that's called the valley of the, uh, the vortex of doom or the valley of doom. It pulls you down. Yeah, been there a few times. Yeah, but simply put, if if you think of school when you did your GCSEs or mm -hmm. O levels or A levels or a degree, the usual length of time of them is two years. Yeah, and in that time, uh, you start off full of enthusiasm as a kid mm -hmm. or an yeah. adult. And then at about 20% of a course, you suddenly the pessimism and the doom comes in and you become pragmatically 
open-minded to the fact that you realise there's much more that you don't know than you do know. Yeah. And then you see what's ahead and it's really frightening because you can know you've got to commit to that two years and then you get about 40 to 60% through the course and you realise there's more to learn and you don't <laughs> think you can do it and you feel yeah. like you're not. And then as you shift towards the end, you see the sight, see the end of sight. So then you become optimistically, but pragmatically optimistic. You know you can make it. I mean, there's all sorts of things with that. So it's a bit like life and journeys, really. Yeah. If you commit, if you if you have, go back to the mindset, if you have, if you commit to something with a conviction that you will achieve it, uh, and you'll you'll do what is needed to achieve it, and you do it with consistency, and you, mm. I've learned this year so in a bit of self compassion, you'll you you'll like with your magic carpet, it'll all carry you through. Your mindset carries you through. Yeah. And the other thing is, is I left school with a biology, a human biology O-level grade C. Yeah, mm. I taught and managed and created uh, reflexology and complementary therapies. And you've got to know all about the anatomy and physiology, the science of the body. I knew mm. not a lot, but I learned it as I went along. And that's the same with mm. anybody. It's like mm. the books. I wanted to yeah. do them. I left school with three O-levels and I did it. And anyone can do it. But you've got to apply yourself. Yeah. Wow. Wow. That that's quite challenging. So, just uh, as as we come to a close, uh, from all your life experience up to now, yeah, what what would be your top advice or tip to someone who is maybe they've reaching they've reached that point where they are stuck, they don't want to do what they are doing now. But they don't know what they can do. A bit like bringing kids up, really, isn't it? For anybody who's got kids, what do you do? What do yeah. you, do? you know, you've got to turn these kids, if you have yeah. children, yeah. or your dogs, or your, not cats, you can't do mm -hmm. it. It's like you've got to have a goal, haven't you? Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, and if you haven't got a goal, uh, you've got no plan. There's no direction. Yeah. No direction, no forward motion. You might go all round like this and round yeah. down the stairs and whatever. But yeah. if you've got a plan, yeah. if you have your passion, you know what you want to do and you mm -hmm. have a passion and you do it with love and conviction and you're prepared to do it and you're committed to what you yeah. want to do, uh, you've got your plan, you've got your goals is look at your milestones along the way. So with two years, at the mm -hmm. end of a year, you'll want to achieve this, two years, you wanted to achieve this. So you can create little milestones along the way. Yeah. And take each day one step at a time because as you move forward, so it's like it's like the, the theory of marginal gains, isn't it? You do a little bit and a little bit and it just grows and you get the compounding effect. Yeah. But at the point where it's most difficult and hardest if you think well i'm not the only one other people have done it however where i am is where i am and i got me here i need yeah. to get me somewhere else to where it is you need to narrow the gap between where you are and where you want to be yeah, so it might be you set yourself more little goals to achieve along the way it might be to find the right person to help you as be successful at it 
or it might be to go for a walk or it might be to do something that energizes you uh, to change you from your present state mm -hmm. uh, but if you've got a plan with little milestones along the way you can remove them or add in them so at the time when you're in survival mode and you're yeah. trying to do it the plan will carry you through a plan yeah. is so important yeah yeah is that what you do yes absolutely i mean the the vision the purpose is because just like you previously said when you get stuck if you have a plan you're always thinking what a how is what i am doing now what i'm going to do fit in the plan and if it if it doesn't then you seek out what it is that you you need to do to get back into the plan or add it if it's something new so that is a great piece of wisdom actually to to uh, get people uh, going so what's in the pipeline for you going forward in the next uh i mean this year is almost done like for next year and beyond well, I'm on my second 12-week year mastermind. It's mm -hmm. looking at it's that book, the 12-week year. Yeah. So we've got a couple of more weeks to finish that. So I will be in a better place. I will be on the way with my plans. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. I'm entering next year two stone rides. I've lost two stone this year. Oh wow! Well done. Very good. Uh, so my clothes will fit me. I get rid of all the fat clothes. Yeah. I've got three more books that I'm contributing to. Yeah. We are looking for properties in Staffordshire. I've about got a mortgage read going through as well. Yeah. But because of investing in the property and mm -hmm. making those choices to do that, to redesign my life, it yeah. means that what I've got, it's like with anybody, I've got you've got lemons. Wherever you are, you're throwing lemons. Yeah. It's about identifying how to make lemonades out of the lemons. Mm -hmm. So inspiring more people through my stories yeah uh, uh the book was named uh in the top 50 books of thinkers 360. wow yeah book yeah wow i didn't even know i, I saw i saw that on facebook that was yeah really really good that was awesome mm. it is apparently so yeah. what it means is i'm now in a community of yeah. like-minded people who can lift me higher to do what i choose to do it's always mm. about what do i want to do and as you say when you follow the plan you can yeah. follow that plan but you don't know what's going to happen along the way yeah absolutely so you yeah. don't get bogged down with the how just keeping your mindset in the zone because that's where you get to pick up the opportunities as well you know because if you're in that mindset and in the zone if something is happening out there your mind or your consciousness will link it to your plan and actually create that light bulb moment for you to pick up that opportunity. So it is a, it is a, a great wisdom there. So, so um, if uh, people are looking for more information or just to um, have a chat with you or anything, how would people find you? They'll find me, uh, Sharon Griffiths. Mm -hmm. I'm on Facebook. Yeah. I'm not Sharon Griffiths, the author from up north, <laughs> Essex. Yeah. I'm also on Instagram. Yeah. Okay. Uh, LinkedIn. Yeah. But my main mode of contact is through Facebook because that is where I share. Yeah. yeah. The other thing is, I'm out there in the universe. I'm never forgotten for anyone. Yeah. <laughs> With your plan, 
Your plan is telling the universe what you want to do. And yeah. if it knows, if you tell it what you want to do, as you say, yeah. the opportunities arise. And an opportunity is something that arises suddenly yeah. or, or unexpectedly or quickly. Mm -hmm. So if you say yes to the opportunity, yeah. uh, you will you can ask out after. Yeah. So Facebook, Instagram and LinkedIn are opportunities to find me. Yeah, absolutely. Now, Sharon, it's been an absolute pleasure. There's so much wisdom and so much uh, uh, detail and content you've uh, you've shared with us today. So Thank you very much for taking the time, and uh, uh, it's, uh, I'm, I'm sure our listeners will enjoy that great wisdom and all the content that you've shared, which has been really great and inspiring, and your story as well. So for me, um, I'm sure we'll, we'll speak again, but uh, really good for you to come on and share with us. So thank you very much for today. It's been um, a pleasure. Yeah, thank you, Sharon. So I'm sure we'll speak soon. So enjoy the rest of the day. Yeah. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Bye. Sharon. Cheers. Bye. Bye. Bye.